What's up, Willow? How you guys doing? Good to see everybody today. If that was Sunday at the Masters, that would be okay. Willow, how are you doing? All right, that's a little bit better. It's a little bit better. Well, as Dave said, my name is Ed, and I'm here with Pastor Sean today, and I can't wait to share with you the word that God has given to us today. And for those that are joining us online, thank you so much for being with us. You know, as a pastor, you get an opportunity to be able to be at the front seat of history often. Sometimes you get an opportunity to see people get married and take their first steps with Jesus Christ. Sometimes you get an opportunity to be able to see new life in in Christ and, and partner to do things that are greater than yourself. But you also have an opportunity sometimes to sit with people and hear a difficult report from the doctor. Sometimes you sit with people and you have an opportunity to hear the pain that they've experienced from spiritual leadership. Pastoring is a challenge. But I would never, will never forget what it feels like to sit with someone who is close to death. You see, something happens when people are close to death. They, they don't have much time, Sean. They don't spend much time mincing words. Their filters are low, but the clarity is high. And such was the case last summer with a friend named Al. You see, Al was a person who would come to me after the service and give me a hug. Al was the guy who would ask how he could pray for me, but I received a phone call that I needed to go to the hospital downtown to be able to spend time with Al and his beautiful wife because cancer was ravaging his body. And I I hate, hate cancer with a passion. And as I looked in his eyes, as I saw him hanging in the balance between going to be with Jesus Christ and experiencing a day that we all hope that we can experience and seeing that he was getting ready to leave his family, he asked me to tell people three things. He said, the first thing, Ed, I want you to tell my wife that I love her. And she's the greatest gift that God's ever given to me. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to tell my kids that I love them and that I couldn't be more proud of them than I am right now. But the third thing that he told me is he said, Ed, I want you at my funeral to preach the gospel. I want you to tell my family and my friends about the person who changed my life and who gave me eternal life. And I said, I can do that, Al. There's a lot of things I can't do, but I can do that, my brother. I promise you I'll do that. And it reminded me of a little church that started in 1975. A ragtag group of people who had the audacity to believe that God could reach people far from Christ. And the fact that that same church is still committed to doing the same thing today of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad to be a part of a church like Willow Creek? I was just thinking, what is it 
that would drive a person at the end of their life to say words like that. Whether you're at home watching this or here in the building, I want to invite you to go to Matthew chapter 28. Real quick, we're going to share with you the why that Jesus had. You see, Jesus said a few words toward the end of his life as well. And he was hanging out with his apprentices. And late in Matthew 28, we find out in verse 16 that he says to his apprentices, I want you guys to meet me at a mountain right outside of Galilee. And when we meet at this mountain, there's some things that I want to share with you. And the Bible continues in verse 17 to say something that I want you to catch. It says that the disciples gathered together and they worshiped him, but some doubted. I could preach a sermon just on those words right there, but in 2020, is there anybody like me that worshiped God, but you doubted? Has it ever been a time in your life where you have seen the hand of God, but you've had questions? If that's you, I'm glad that you are in good company because the disciples were that way. But Jesus did something in verse 18. He noticed and saw the doubt, but he didn't stop. Jesus said these incredible words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Wow, don't miss that, Willow. Don't miss those words. All authority has been given to me. I'm not a peasant. I'm I'm not a carpenter anymore. I'm not a prince. I'm a king and I have a kingdom and I'm coming back and I'm here to tell you that in my kingdom, I have an agenda and all authority has been given to me. I want to serve notice to the devil today that all authority has been given to Jesus Christ and we stand under the banner of Jesus Christ. That's why we do what we do as a church. It's it's not who we are. So in his final words, Jesus says to the disciples a very simple thing. If you don't listen to anything else, listen to what Jesus told the disciples. He said to go. I want you as a group to go. Well, go where? Well, thank you. I'm glad you asked. I'm Gary to share with you. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Christian circles, this is not called the great suggestion. This is not something you can opt out of or clep out of. This is called the great commandment. And the reason why it's called the great commandment is because Jesus had a purpose. It was a command. Jesus wanted you and me to know that based on the previous verse, he has all authority. We can't do it within ourselves, Willow. We can't do it within ourselves, those that are viewing online. We have to go in the power of Jesus Christ. And he told them to do two things. I want you to baptize, and I want you to teach. It was the greatest transference in power in human history. The king is giving apprentices the keys to the kingdom. Because of who Jesus is, we are 
empowered to go, Sean, but we should probably talk a little bit about how we should go. It's a, it's a great piece, Ed. But you think about, again, like Ed mentioned, going has been the heart of Willow Creek since 1975 and probably even been in the hearts of leaders before that. Yeah. And though the methods have changed over the years, the mission has never changed. We've always been about the mission of Jesus. It's always been about going. But the question becomes, how do you go? Because we can go to a street corner with a bullhorn. Yeah. Uh, we can go with a, with a message of fear and judgment. We can go in such a way just to earn a couple of extra Jesus points, which would serve us all well. <laughs> And so it's not just a matter of going, what also matters is how we go. And so, like you mentioned, if this were called the Great Commission, how we go is defined by what Jesus gave us as the Great Commandment. So if you've got a Bible, we're in Mark chapter 12, and we see Jesus in Mark chapter 12. He's asked this question by these religious leaders, and just the question was, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And you know how Jesus responded, but in the moment, it must have been a pretty remarkable moment where Jesus took what this religious leader would have already known, which is the Old Testament scriptures, and he highlights among the 400 plus commandments that God gave his people in Israel, he highlights two. The first is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's often called the Shema, very powerful passage, because if you want to know the greatest commandment, it's simply this, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That is the heartbeat of who God is and what he's called us to be. That's the how we go. Now, but notice in Mark chapter 12, not only did he give us Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the Shema, the love God with everything, notice what he also says. He says in the second commandment, it's just like it. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment that is greater than these. And so if Jesus calls us in the great commission to go, the question becomes how we go, and the how we go is love. Mm. Like we go in a, in a loving way. Now as I think about what that looks like, when Jesus talks about these great commandments, again, he was asked what's the greatest commandment, and he actually gives two, two responses to one question, Right? It's almost as if he's saying, in order to love God fully, you also have to love your neighbor. And if we were to ask the question, who is our neighbor, what we realize is there's no out clause. It's not as though Jesus says, you can love this person, this person, this person, but you don't have to love Larry, because Larry's a little bit hard to love sometimes. My apologies <laughs> for anybody in the room named Larry, but you're with me, right? There's, there's no exception clause to whom God calls us to love. And so God calls us, we're to love our rich neighbor and our poor neighbor. Uh, We're supposed to love our homeless neighbor, our gay neighbor, our Muslim neighbor. That God calls us to to love our annoying neighbor, our Republican neighbor, our Democrat neighbor. There is no exception clause we're called to love. So if you ever want to know that God's great commission is to go, how we go is the great commandment that we are supposed to go in love. It's supposed to define everything that we are and everything that we do. And so when Jesus talks about being the salt of the earth, the city on the hill that cannot be hidden, that's because when we go in love in the way that Jesus loved, we go in love in radical and unconditional types of ways, it helps people understand the gravity of the grace, the love, the mercy of our great God. It's not just that we go. It's about how we go with a loving, serving, sacrificial posture into this world that God has called us to go. But Ed, I would argue that it's not just about how we go. I would also argue that love is why we go. 
Again, when you think about when we go, sometimes we feel this, this evangelistic challenge and we think, man, I've got to do that because I'm, I'm obligated to do so or, or somebody's twisting my arm hard enough or, or maybe I feel somewhat spiritually guilt-tripped into it. We don't go for those types of reasons. Love is not only how we go, love is also why we go. Because the truth is, if your life's anything like mine, my life has been wrecked by the good news of Jesus. My life has been transformed by the good news of Jesus. I am no longer the same person today than I was the days before I, I, I met my Lord. The, the, the love of Jesus has wrecked, has transformed, has changed me from the inside out. My friends, I got a long way to go. But I'm not the person I used to be because of what God has done in my life. And so the reality of it is I'm compelled to go because of a loving God and what he's already done for me. That we have this all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God who lived a perfect life, who died a, uh, 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 he died a sacrificial death, that overcame that tomb so that you and I could find life, could find peace, could find hope, could find freedom. My friends, I'm convinced that changed people change people. And when your love becomes, when your life becomes so transformed by the love of our great God, we're compelled, we're called to go into the world to be the light, to be the salt, to be, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to this world who so desperately needs him. And so we're called to go, but how we go? We go in love. Why do we go? In love. It's the greatest commission coupled with the greatest commandment. But Ed, I, I think there's actually still a piece missing into this equation. Uh, it reminds me of, of years ago. I think I was in college. I was at home for uh, Christmas break. And my mom had this great idea that we would do this family activity and we would put a jigsaw puzzle together. She meant to get a 500-piece puzzle. She accidentally got a 5,000-piece puzzle. <laughs> and so what was supposed to be just a couple of hours of fun, you know, as a family together, turned into this laborious effort over the uh, course of the entire, you know, Christmas break. We were home for, I don't know, two, three weeks working on this, on this puzzle. But you know the moment, if you've ever done a large jigsaw puzzle, when you finally get to the end, it's like this climactic moment that we've been waiting for, you know, for weeks. And we got down to probably 20 or 30 pieces. We called the whole family in because we all wanted to be together, you know, when we finished this thing. And so we started putting piece after piece in. It starts going a little quick toward the end. And wouldn't you know, we got to the very end, and there was a piece missing. <laughs> My friends, I want to cry in this moment, going back to that moment. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was wrong on, on so many levels. Now, thankfully, my dad's an engineer. He's a really resourceful guy. And so what he did is he took the, the box top to the puzzle. He took it to Kinko's, a copy place. He blew the image up the size of the puzzle. We went home. We laid that over the puzzle. He cut out the exact piece, put it on a thin piece of cardboard. My friends, we popped that piece right in. <laughs> it was amazing. It's an amazing moment, right? And so I kind of think about this. It's an, it's an amazing commitment. We got to go. And we got to go in love, but there's something tells me that there's a piece that God still wants to pop into this equation that brings us to fruition. Tell us about that piece. I tell you, um, I've been thinking about that piece, and I'm so glad I wasn't a part of that 5,000-piece uh, puzzle. Uh, but I would say one of the things that God has allowed me to have a front seat on is the reality of something that is part of love. Because we quickly move to relationship and hugging and saying we love one another. But the last time I checked in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, 
many churches are struggling with what it really means to love. It reminded me in 1995 of um, a story that I was present. Bruce Kuhn, a, a Broadway actor, does the entire gospel of Luke by memory. You can Google it. It's amazing. But he was having a Q&A session at the end of his presentation. And a woman asked, how do you love people as an actor on Broadway? And what he said, Sean, is something that I'll never forget. He said this, I've never met a person who hates Jesus. It's just the Christians they can't stand. I want to say that again. I've never met a person who hates Jesus. It's just the Christians that they can't stand. How humbling that those words are as we think about the reality of our lives today. Do we act toward one another and other believers in our community in a way that people would see and say that they see us by our love? See, the commitments that we keep and the character traits we reveal should reflect the character of God. My friend Jeff Henderson puts it this way. He says that so often the church has known what we're against. But I believe we're coming to a time where God wants the church to let people know what we are for. That we're for families. That we're for men and we're for women. We are for the confused and the conflicted. We are for the disillusioned and those that are discontented. Why? Because we believe that God will lead them to his destiny through his son, Jesus Christ. We want to be known at Willow Creek for our love. We're dreaming again. And we're dreaming because Pastor Dave Ferguson told us last week that the X factor involves being so close to one another that we rub off on each other. But last time I checked in my life, the hardest person to lead is myself. That when you rub off on one another, conflict is going to happen. It's a byproduct of any healthy relationship, amen? I know all the guys were just really quiet as I heard a lot of women um, in that moment. But see, Jesus wants us to not be focused on just making a point. He wants us to be focused on making a difference. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, Jesus provides us the answer to how we can deal with conflict among one another. I want to encourage you this week to read this passage, and I want to just share it with you. It starts with the 20th verse. Jesus has just said that he hopes that the Father will empower his disciples through the word, and he says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete, and here's the word, circle it, unity. Then the world will know 
that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. See, the reality is God, through his son Jesus, is saying, I desire for you to be one. I desire for unity to be the reflection of who you are. Your pain is not permission to hurt others. Your pain is not permission to not reflect the joy of Jesus Christ. It's an opportunity to dig deeper to where Jesus is, and he tells us that he desires to have unity. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 says it this way. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's only through our submission and utter dependence to God that any of us can even remotely attain unity. My friends, I want to ask you this, and those that are joining me online, I want you to imagine this. What would it look like if Willow Creek became known for our love and not our blog posts? What would it look like for Willow Creek to become known for our love and not dissension? What would it mean for people to see Willow Creek and say, oh my goodness, the unity of the body of Christ, Sean, is showing through. I have to go and just check out how in the world has God allowed them to flourish? I will tell you it's because of the sin that makes his grace necessary. That, Sean, is what brings us to unity. I mean, so that's the heart, right? And so if we're kind of talking about all the different pieces that are falling into place for us, God does tell us to go. Matthew chapter 28 is the great commission. Yeah. We talk about it's coupled with Mark chapter 12. It's the great commandment. Yeah. But I wonder if we think about it in coordination with John chapter 17, which I would call the great collaboration. Yeah. That it's all about what it looks like to do it yeah. together. That we become people that we go love together. And it's at the heart of who God is. It's the heart of what God desires to see in his people and in his church. And so you start thinking about this idea of being together, this idea of, of unity. And again, we might ask the question, like, why? Why is this so important? And I, I would suggest that there's a myriad of reasons why unity really matters. But, but as I think about it, I, I think that there's probably two that really stand out, at least for me. One is, I am convinced that when we really come together, when we're really together, we are just flat out better together. Yeah. That we can do more for the kingdom of God, that the, the, the kingdom can be expanded in greater proportions if we're willing to actually come together. It reminds me of this age-old illustration. Maybe you've heard it before, but, but the, the power of really strong horses. Like, think Clydesdale type of horses. And if you take a single horse that's called a pull horse, and they're trained, and you, you put them, you know, you harness them up... I'm told that these pull horses, they can pull up to about 8,000 pounds. It's unbelievable. A couple more than I'm able to do myself. <laughs> they can pull 8,000 pounds on their own. Now, if you take two of these massive beasts of, of animals and you train them both and you harness them up together, you wonder how much they're able to pull together. You might think when you have twice the horsepower, like literally twice the horsepower, you might think that they'd be able to pull twice as much weight. But do you know, instead of pulling 16,000 pounds together, they're actually able to pull up to 24,000 pounds together. Twice the horsepower, three times the result. 
And I'm told if you take these two horses and you actually train them to actually work together so that they actually uh, uh, lean off of each other's strengths and that kind of thing, that they could actually pull up to four times what one of them would be able to do on their own. There's something about the power of team when you're willing to come together and work together and strive together and be focused together and accomplish the mission together. We can do way more together than we would ever be able to do on our own. And I think the same principle applies not to just horses. I think the same principle applies to any team. Uh, How many sports fans do we have? You know, you you kind of think about even in in sports, the, the team that wins the championship oftentimes is not the most skilled and talented team. Now, you need skill and talent to win a championship, no doubt. But oftentimes, the team that actually wins is the team that's figured out how to come together. They've got great chemistry. They're a great team. They figured out how to really work together. It's fundamentally about unity. It's about being together. And if that's true, not just with horses and sports teams, how much is it more true with the people of God? When the people of God come together, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, what happens in the kingdom of God is greater than any of us could have ever imagined in our wildest imaginations, right? That what God can do in us and through us when we come together is quite remarkable. And so I think part of really what God is up to as we think about this and as he prays for our unity is because we just can flat out do more for the mission of Jesus when we're together. But my friends, I think there's even more at stake than that. And the reason I think there's more at stake than that, because if you go back to the prayer that Jesus prayed, he actually gives us the why of why he's praying this prayer. He says, then the world will know, then the world will know that God has sent Jesus and that God had loved him just, just as, as that, that God loves us just as much as, as God has loved Christ, right? That, that then the world will know. So what's at stake? What's at stake is our witness in the world. My friends, we live in a divided world. But here's the truth. That's not a new truth. This world's been divided since Genesis chapter (laughs) 3. That the moment the fall happened in humanity, this world has been divided over all kinds of different lines. And sure, this season feels more polarized. And sure, this season feels more volatile. But division and dissension is not new in our world. But God calls his people to something different. God causes people to stand up and to stand out and to look different because it's only in the church that in the midst of conflict and tension, we offer grace. It's only in in the people of God that you see forgiveness extended. It's only in the people of God that despite our differences, we can still come together because what we discovered is that the mission of Jesus is greater than anything that could possibly divide us. And I'm even willing to set aside the minor issues to focus on the greatest mission that there is on planet Earth. My friends, we are better together. And our witness in this world hangs on it. Our divided world needs a united church. Amen, amen. We have to come together. We have to come together. There's just too much at stake. And I, I've got a conviction that is, is, is growing and it is burning around this particular issue. I've got a deep conviction around it. That we've got to pray, and we've got to pray hard against any kind of spirit that would lead to division, because that is of the enemy. And we've got to pray that the Holy Spirit of God would, would join us in one heart. And that doesn't mean that we brush things aside that need to be dealt with. And that doesn't mean we sweep under the rug the stuff that, that we don't like to deal with. It doesn't even mean it's an absence of conflict. It just means that we are willing, despite our differences and despite the challenges, that we realize that there is a mission, there is one who is greater than us. 
and for his sake, for his mission, we will come together. I mean, fundamentally, my friends, I believe that we are better together. It is together that we can love the brokenhearted. It is together that we can transform communities. It is together that we can come alongside those who are in addiction and help them find a sense of freedom. It's together that we pour into marriages that are on the brink of divorce. It's together that we can lean in and learn from our global partners. It's together that we stand for justice. It's together that we serve those in need. It's together that we plant churches around the world. Yes. It's together that we build life-changing community. My friends, we are called to go about, we are, go, we are never called to go about this mission on our own. We're called to do it together. May we as a church, Willow Creek Community Church, may this mark our lives. We will be people who go, love, together. Would you say that with me? We're, we're going to be people who what? We go, go love, love, together. together. One more time like you mean it. We're going to be people who go, go love, love together. together. God, that is our prayer. Our prayer is that we would be a church who follow your great commission and we go to this world who desperately needs your hope. But God, we be a church that we go in love so that people see a reflection of who you really are and your genuine character. But Father, may we do so in such a way that we do it together. It's the great collaboration. God, would you, with the Holy Spirit of God, come in us, work through us, bind us together so the world might know the one who sent us. We love you. We say thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.